Hi everyone, my name is Bata Vichak and this is Fashion Knowledge, a podcast educating, disrupting and shaping fashion futures. Fashion Knowledge is brought to you by Unfolding Strategies, a consultancy and education lab for digital, inclusive and sustainable fashion in Web3. Okay, hi everyone, welcome. Uh, my wonderful guest today is Lydia Tang. I'm very excited to have you here. Thank you, I'm really excited to be chatting. Yeah, I hope you're gonna have some nice conversation today about digital storytelling, about values, you know, and how kind of the whole space is changing for creative directors, because uh, when I think of you, I mainly predominantly think of you as a creative director, as well as a co-founder of Morning. So. I don't know, could you tell me maybe first about your background a little bit? Sure. So um, firstly, I'm really excited to talk about all those things you just said, because they're literally my favorite things. Um, oh. But yeah, so I, I'm a bit of a Frankenstein creative. I've spent the last like decade and a bit working in mission-driven marketing across lots of different types of roles that very much represent the shifting the shifts that happen in the industry. So um, I started off working in advertising. I'm actually an art history grad, so I was like very mm. nerdy about visual culture and dissecting imagery. And um, that was kind of the thing that I was really excited about. And then what was your I favorite started part of art history. Sorry to interrupt. Um, what, was, what was the, you know, the thing? I think I kind of got obsessed with this idea that like images held this amazing aura and power that could like mm. influence how people think, which is essentially like communications and branding and like kind mm. of has led to a lot of my like philosophical and my frameworks around the work I do and also warning, which is essentially that visual culture can like change how people think and feel about things. And I think that's mm. amazing. Like I remember my mum giving me um, um, a John Berger book when I was really young and me being obsessed with that there was like a visual essay that unpacked um, you know, femininity and identity and the body and the gaze. And I was like, whoa, this is like, these are so many amazing, powerful thoughts inside like a photograph. Um, so yeah, that's why I love art history. Yeah, it's a great book. And yeah, your mom is cool. It's a good gift. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, cool. Okay, so art history and then... Yes, yeah, so studied art history, was very nerdy about visual culture. And then I went on to um, work for M&C Saatchi, which uh, for, to me was like the best ad agency in London. So I was like, I want to work there. So I was an intern. I was there for a while. And then eventually um, I took over the art buying department. And then I started a department called Visual um, Content, which sounds really cute. But like 12 years ago, it was like a pretty big deal. The fact that content mm -hmm. was even a word that was being said in advertising. Um, and yeah, I've worked in lots of ad jobs, different big ad agencies, different roles, all about visual storytelling, either commissioning or art direction or trend forecasting. But as I said, I was very much a misfit and a Frankenstein in the industry. People didn't quite know what to do with me. And actually, mm. I suffered a lot of like imposter syndrome, not really being sure what my place was in the industry. But I really believed and still do that brands are amazing vehicles for good if leveraged correctly. And so that value system is really how I became differentiated in um, the advertising world. And I went on to become the creative director at Refinery29 in New York. And I was there for quite a while, an amazing mission-driven feminist media platform. And then I went on to oversee the women's category at Nike headquarters in Portland, uh, where I met my co-founder, Sam. Um, and a lot of the work I was doing at Nike was this idea of like, you know, pushing them to be more ethical in their thinking and conscious storytelling and, you know, how do we engage communities in a way that's sustained and all of that thinking was really formulated there. 
And then Sam and I met and we were like, let's start our own thing and go and do this for lots of brands. So I've been running my agency morning um, for the last year, year or so. Um, and yeah, it's been amazing. We're now working with lots of big brands, including Nike, um, helping them figure out like their digital strategy. So yeah, it's been a really good year and, cool. and life. <laughs> Cool. Uh, amazing. Yeah. Sounds like a, sounds like a, sounds like a, sounds like a, you know, good journey. And I mm -hmm. feel it's amazing that, you know, that you founded uh, your own thing with Sam. I think this is very exciting. I think it's great when, you know, people kind of think like, okay, I've done my thing now in the industry and now I can get up and do my own and like, you know, leave the mark. And I, and I really, you know, I really admire that. But today I would like, like to hear maybe a little bit first about, you know, what is morning? Why is it different? You know, who are you? And uh, I don't know if you if you ever define digital storytelling. I would love to hear that. What's your What's your take? And how What do we, What do we even mean when we say digital storytelling? And how morning interprets that? Yeah. So morning is really founded on a belief system that it's a new day for storytelling. And actually, mm. we have a responsibility as storytellers, all of us, um, to right the wrongs and push culture forward. Um, and it's that responsibility we take very highly. And that value system essentially, essentially pushes us every day. Different executions, different platforms, different clients, but the value system remains the same. And so we say as a company, our um, mission is to leave the world a little bit less shit than it was yesterday, which mm -hmm. um, speaks to this intention of like incremental change, infiltrating from within, being punk positive in our moves. We're very no bullshit. We work with some of the biggest brands in the world. Um, mm -hmm. And yet we're constantly helping them and pushing them to be better in service of their community and also of course their bottom line because doing good um, mm. is good for business and so that's something that we are very good at intersecting mission and money um, and so yeah if I had to define digital storytelling because I would say morning is a digital strategy studio so we're mm -hmm. built up of a lot of like misfit strategists we come from lots of different backgrounds research concepting art direction um, social but really we're all united by this value system that we believe brands can be vehicles for good. And so digital strategy manifests often as like, um, you know, a research report um, or it could be a, a narrative positioning. Um, you know, we work a lot with Nike, we work a lot with Calvin Klein, helping them figure out how to position themselves for certain cultural moments um, mm -hmm. in a way that's ethical and sustained and fair to the community and actually helpful. Um, because I think, you know, brands get a lot of shit for showing up in culture, but actually brands should be amazing platforms for social change. Not always, sometimes they should shut up and get out of the way, but sometimes they can be incredible spaces for change. And I, I think Morning is very good at helping brands navigate that, when to speak, when not to speak, um, when in fact it is your role to push yourself into digital culture and storytell for a community or give them the light. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, we, we've um, kind of crafted our capabilities around that. It's a lot of brand strategy, social strategy, moving more and more into Web3 consulting. Um, but yeah, that's, that's in essence what we do. We're 15 people now based out of London, mm. although I'm in the forest in Wales. Um, and yeah, we just love solving problems for brands and helping them be better, essentially. I have a question. So from the things that you said, what really intrigues me are two things. One is, you know, on a practical level, like how you involve communities more. And I, and I would love to know how, you know, for example, let's say whatever brand you work with, if you have any examples, how the community is more involved, it would be great to hear. And another thing I was very intrigued when I was looking at your website is that, that you said, let me look at my notes, that everything you do, uh, 
is driven by the intersectional principles. And I'm thinking, like, do brands even know what that means? Like, you know, when you <laughs> talk to people at brands, like, like, are they like, oh, they're, they're, you know, they're driven by principles, like, in, th those principles, let's work with them. Amazing. We, you know, is this like, uh, how, how does that work? Yeah, that's a great question. And actually, I'm asked to constantly define that word. And I'm, yeah. and I'm happy to always answer that question. I'm happy that we are showing brands um, that actually actual intersectional thinking is something that should be applied to everything that we do. And so how mm. we define it is essentially that we acknowledge the multifacets of identity that we don't um, silo think about diversity and inclusion as race or identification, sex, gender, location, that we consider people as individuals um, and communities in, the, in their individualisms. And actually that we can't be making or creating campaigns and sort of flushing them through social and hoping that they resonate with people. And actually the more specificity in our work, in our research, um, the more we're actually in, truly empowering a community and being helpful. Because that's the thing, mm. it's tough for brands to get their heads away from big anthemic you know, huge, huge moments where they say, we support, you know, Asian Heritage Month, or we're going to show up for pride. And here's something with a rainbow on like where they're, they're very brands feel like they have to be iconic and loud in those moments to mm. show their um, commitment to a community. But in mm. fact, um, I'm a big believer in, in incremental, you know, sincere daily change. Um, in the same way that it's almost like when you show up for a friend and you kind of create a big fuss on their birthday and you bring a balloon, you bring a card and you dress up and you make a big fuss out of them and then you fuck off all year and you don't message them. You don't check in, you don't see how they're doing. It's a, you don't, it's, um, can, it's a similar sort of, sort of thing. And, and, you know, brands want to befriend communities. They need mm. our loyalty. They need our favor. Mm. And, you know, I think a lot of brands are, are fearful, but well-intentioned. They want to be helpful. And so, mm. The intersectional lens and, and, and having that be a kind of responsibility that we hold dear through our work um, helps, their, helps, helps them do better and holds us accountable to it, honestly. And so how that manifests day to day is in our research, the way that we apply um, that lens to research. Um, so say, for example, if we're being asked to rethink um, you know, a sneaker with Nike through a specific mm -hmm. community, we'll really unpack that. We won't be like, cute, so like Gen Z women, like. You know, it's not like we, we don't silo identity. We consider like the very many facets that go into mm -hmm. what is what is now community because it is forever shifting. And I think the fact that it is shifting and evolving daily is scary to brands because they can't segment it um, mm -hmm. and they can't fully understand it. So there's an ex interesting opportunity for us to re-educate brands and mm -hmm. think about how actually you have to be as agile and as nimble as the community is because the community changes and redefines and self-defines every day mm -hmm. yeah i i can really I, I was doing a project with uh one school in berlin and it was the same conversation but with fashion educators you know how mm -hmm. they can understand the ever-changing identities and they're getting more and more complex of their students because they felt like they're teaching like for everyone they're so open but actually there were complaints because many people were excluded, harmed, you know, offended. And we right. had to have this conversation. And even though many people felt like they were, you know, extremely open and extremely welcoming, uh, they were not aware of it. So obviously there is also this moment kind of of a shift and this bias. And I think it's like a massive, you know, general thing. And it's happening equally, I don't know, for institutions, for brands, anywhere we can look at where there are certain modes of operating and sometimes they might be just like, you know, outdated. Um, right. But then... Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I, I think there's something really interesting in that allowing that fallibility. 
I'm a person mm. that's really um, perfectionist. I don't like things being wrong. If I'm not great at something, I'll avoid it. Generally, I'll, mm. I'll veer towards things I'm good at. And I feel like brands are similar. They're like, oh, that worked. And we're really good at that. Let's just keep yeah. deepening that. When actually fallibility and, you know, making mistakes and trying and acknowledging them, that humanity through the way brands show up is something that I'm excited to keep pushing brands to do. Because I think in that, in that fallibility comes that true connection. Almost again, mm -hmm. to use the friend analogy, it's only in moments of vulnerability do you truly feel like a friend when someone gives mm -hmm. you that vulnerability, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I'm just wondering, like many people, you know, many people don't believe that brands want to do good or that they want to be kind of nice. They always feel like it's a kind of aspect. It can be easily said of tokenization, you know, of exploitation. Yeah. I just wonder how you, you know, like I don't want you to defend now all the brands and corporations you ever worked with by no means, but I'm just curious, you know, how to how to make those two arguments uh, and two positions, like how to kind of, you know, come somewhere in the middle. Yeah, I think, I think the intention and execution I think it's kind of similar to, you know, diversity is, is inviting someone to the table. Inclusion is allowing them to speak. It's like a similar mm. metaphorical framework of like, it's all well and good for brands to be well-intentioned and to give it a go and to be fallible mm. and to try. But I think for me, it's about like a sustained commitment to, mm. to the community. Um, and I do think that brands, um, brands now are in a place where they have, they have no choice, but yeah. to, choose their value system and live by them and you know it's just it's sad and a shame that some brands have have done that because they've been forced by the community and held accountable but i do think mm -hmm. other other brands are well intentioned and also and sometimes it's just a sneaker sometimes it just is what it is and it's about like yeah. giving the community the tools to self-express and that's fine mm -hmm. too i don't think we should over intellectualize the significance of brands but i believe yeah. in my in my bones that they want to be better because I we're all mm. humans at the end of the day and all the brand managers mm. that work for all these big brands want to contribute something of value. <laughs> I'm, mm. I'm sure they do some legacy. We all have an intention to leave behind an element of personal legacy in our creative work. Um, and so I choose to believe that 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 is the case. Yeah, cool. Um, so let's now shift to web free and what legacy we will leave in web free because it feels like web free and metaverse are like, things of the future or things of the very urgent now. We connected actually online because of our mutual interest in Web3 and how the things are shaping and evolving. Um, there's no secret that apart from doing this podcast and running and following strategies, I also work for a digital fashion marketplace as a head of impact. So, you know, this is kind of my daily bread. So I wouldn't be myself. I wouldn't ask about it. I'm curious how basically if you're working on Web3 strategy, because this is also one of the things you do at morning, mm -hmm. um, how do you how do you try to you know to make things less shit there like how can we because it's this new kind of space and many people are excited about it so you know is it even taken under consideration how to bring what values do you bring to the beginning of a conversation about web free strategy i think that's the perfect word is values and i think right now it's still too um, intang intangible like web mm -hmm. 2 we we know what it is and we know mm -hmm. how brands exist there and what they should and shouldn't do. The rules are pretty clear. It's very executional. But I think it's exciting for brands to consider the lesson of web free, which is this urge for, you know, decentralization, true democratic sh skill sharing, resource sharing, that the, the idea mm -hmm. of a slow build of a community instead of the immediacy of web two. And it's interesting, mm -hmm. I think brands will be in, um, fearful and confused why they can't um, 
immediately be successful with money and effort in web free mm -hmm. when you and you and I both know that it's about building that loyalty and showing up with a true intention because mm -hmm. web free will just reject it. And I think the spirit of web free, I find very exciting and interesting as somebody that met their husband on MySpace, I feel excited at the idea of it being about pure creation. And, you know, there is maybe that's a little idealistic of me, but I just think re Web3 has an opportunity to be about true skill sharing, resource sharing, mm -hmm. true, pure, feral creation. And mm -hmm. those things all terrify brands. But how exciting that we get to, like, challenge <laughs> them with that and that 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 ugly mirror that is, are you going to be um, are you going to have a point of view that will carry on Discord mm. without a shiny image, without a clever influencer tagging mm. you. How how are you going to carry through who you are? And it'll mean that brands in Web3 will have to do a lot of introspection because mm. you cannot show up there and chat without knowing exactly who you are and why you're there, mm. um, which makes me excited because as a strategist, I feel like we often get caught in the execution of making beautiful work, beautifully designed, lots mm. of money, um, ad campaigns. And I find that work quite tiring and tired um, when actually brands could do with a little bit of interest, quiet introspection um, to figure out exactly who they are and why um, before moving into execution. And so I think Web3 will, will poke that and make brands think about that, which is very exciting. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned Discord. And I'm thinking like, you know, how actually, because if Discord basically is about conversation, about chatting mm. and about what we know that was popular also during the MySpace era as forums and, you know, people just exchanging what they want to talk about. And, you know, it's not really easy to have a very good lively forum where people want to exchange and talk, uh, you know, and share information. So how do you think brands can start, you know, having those conversations and, and how they can also go in this, you know, community building, sharing like a, like in a direction mm -hmm. that both be both enriching for the community and for the brand? In, in my, I mean, right now, with what I know mm. and what I've seen, I think the only way mm. for that to work is for brands to um, empower communities um, mm. as the mouthpieces for their mission. So it means that, you know, almost like co-creation or co-ownership. Um, mm. And I think that's, that makes sense for Web3. You know, it would be odd for a, mm. that hierarchy to exist where a brand was an authority in a space mm. and came in and sort of like... Um, what's it called when you have like a big speaker phone, like kind of like shout out over its subjects in the mm -hmm. way that TV ads do. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that acknowledgement that it needs to be a two-way dialogue will mean that brands have to empower the community to speak on their behalf. It'll be the only way it can get done. Um, mm -hmm. And so it's almost like the next evolution of um, the creator economy, I think, because people mm -hmm. will have to be so bought in philosophically into what the brand believes, the brand's product, the brand's future that they speak mm. on its behalf in the same way that I think that, you know, you get some communities who will gather together and almost choose to market the NFT they've bought. And it's kind of becomes this living, breathing marketing team that's like self-formed and self-governed. It's kind of mm -hmm. this fascinating um, living, breathing community. And that's why I think that brands need to really know who they are so that they can engage the community to speak on their behalf. That's almost the only way I can see it working right now, mm. but maybe I'll be proved wrong. Yeah, time will tell. Yeah, I'm. I'm very. I'm very kind of interested in this. Either it is a flattening of relationships or the civilization. Right. Um, that definitely one thing. On the other, you know how basically the the blur there will be the blurred lines between the 
uh, consumer creative creators and the brands and yes. you know, the big ownerships, you know, the, the shirt royalties and like everything that creative economy and what food can bring. So I'm, I'm very intrigued to see how it goes because there's a lot of amazing promises and I'm very curious how in the working, you know, with, as you mm. said, little mistakes with, and then we'll come back and then we'll see how it can work out. But I'm very intrigued how it's going to go. But then let me, let me ask you, this is actually the last question I have. Um, what would be like your dream project? What would be like the best thing you can think of now? Like what would be, you know, Lydia's dream come true or like the biggest challenge maybe that's also, I think, considering your spirit mm. in our conversation, you know, what would be the biggest challenge? So the thing that bothers me the most and that I want to mm. solve is, well, so, okay, let me start with this. Morning is built on this philosophy that we should all be a little bit less shit, as I mentioned. Um, that that is an idea right that currently exists in mm. you know the people that work work at morning in our consulting in our opinion and it's a very opinion mm. based i sell opinions essentially um and that's been how i formulated my career what i feel what bothers me and makes me excited is some sort of like digital product glossary tool thing that en enables me to scale that thinking because right now it's isolated within morning um which is obviously great. People come to morning for that point of view to help them be less shit. But imagine if there was some sort of like digital product that helped that help guide people through their commissioning so that they um, engage the creator economy in a way that felt ethical and, and mm -hmm. sustained or, um, yeah, help them work out, um, you know, um, identification and partnership ethics. It's almost like I, I have this like dream that there is like um, a guideline of how to be less shit when storytelling. Mm -hmm. um, and I would love to figure out a way to like scale that so that everybody that works across brands, not just people that work with me or for me, can use that. Because it bother mm -hmm. it viscerally bothers me how shit brands can be. That mm -hmm. bothers me. Because like we all are like ego-driven, vanity-driven, we love stuff. Mm -hmm. And so brands have this potential for such greatness. They reach us in our quietest moments, in our darkest moments, and in our best moments. And the fact that some brands are shit in their, they let us down in their image representation, in their communications, in their ethics, in their making, their supply, all those things fundamentally bothers me. And so if I could create some sort of tool to scale that thinking, that would make me very happy. Um, mm -hmm. So that would be my dream project. I don't know if that would ever happen. I'm also secretly and not so secretly kind of obsessed with like the food industry um, and our relationship with food and food as like a political material and food mm -hmm. as a vehicle for nurture and storytelling. And so I swear I have a project in me about that. I just haven't had the time. But I will. You actually, you actually had one, no? You did the, you did the yeah. zine about, yeah. That was, that was, that looked lovely. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to either if it's, you know, supporting brands and becoming less shit and content creation, or if it's food, or it can be join this one project that would be in yeah maybe see. but it sounds like there are more uh clarified than than you might just said now that might never happen it sounds like there there might be coming coming along cool thank we'll you see. so much lydia uh thank you thank you for joining us and yeah uh telling us how brands can be less shit thank you so much thank you for having me that was really fun